Dave Chang is an avid student and fan of sports, music, art, film, and of course, food. With a rotating cast of guests, they have conversations that cover everything from the creative process to his guests' guiltiest pleasures. Follow The Dave Chang Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Prestige TV Pod Special Thanksgiving Edition. I'm Joanna Robinson. Joining me uh, at this feast, uh, <laughs> a giant of the podcasting industry, it's Chris Ryan. Hi, Chris. Joanna, there's so many more truffles here than I expected. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm, I'm fancy. I'm royal. I'm Russian. We're here. We're here to uh, to enjoy this. If you are listening to us. On Thanksgiving proper, I I am honored. You must really hate your family. <laughs> I'm delighted you've decided to escape your family and come chill with us and some uh, Russian royals. We're here to talk about the Hulu series The Great, which dropped its entire second season. So if you really want to take time away from your family, that is there for you. The first and second season, ready for you to watch. We are going to get into a, like the first couple episodes that we've watched of season two eventually. But first, what we're going to do, if you've not seen a single second of this show, is we're going to make our case, Chris, right? As to why this is a show you should be watching. Because my sense is that it was a pretty, pretty popular pandemic watch, but yeah. not as popular as I think it deserves. No. So, yeah. It's interesting that this is coming out at Thanksgiving because if I had to call the great anything, I would call it excessive. It's stuffed, you Lavish. know? So it's it's not exactly like a palate cleanser if you've just gotten done eating a ton of turkey. Oh, yeah. No, you're going to see a lot of <laughs> swilling of vodka and, <laughs> and other delicacies that maybe... Yeah, but let's start at the very beginning. So before we get into like any details, details, though it's history, Allegedly. Sure. So how spoilery can we get? But um, what's your case for why people should watch The Great? It's just a great royal period piece where people call each other C-words all the time. You know, uh, I think it's got the raunchy comedy that you might associate with an Armando Iannucci show. But this is obviously written by Tony McNamara, who also wrote The Favorite. Um, and it's got this sort of thousand jokes per page, absolutely like bilious attitude towards each other and there's just an incredible density to the writing and to the to the delivery of lines and to the, just the actual like amount of action going on and people are walking in and out of rooms and making deals and double crossing each other but at the heart of it it is this bizarre fucked up love story which actually does come through in a way that sometimes in Ianucci shows and sometimes in these really, really dark comedies, you do get to the to the, to the center of it and you're like, oh, there's nothing here. I, I'm, I'm completely, completely empty here. And this isn't that. This has this sort of demented, uh, natural born killers kind of love story in the middle of it. So we're, we're in the 18th century, we're in Russia. Uh, we're, we're talking about Catherine the Great, a, and a very impressive political figure played by Elle Fanning as a young woman who's come to court and Nicholas Holt as uh, her just impossible, 
awful husband, Emperor Peter III. Um, eventually, history tells us Catherine will overthrow Peter and take the throne and rule for a very long time. Um, but this is this is the very beginning of, of their courtship to season one, and then season two, more things happen. In that sort of uh, young royal come to court vibe, it feels very Marie Antoinette, uh, Sofia Coppola, uh, to try to make this something that could feel musty and dusty and old, feel very vital and young and fresh. It's not completely anachronistic the way that Dickinson is. Do you know it's not all the way over into that territory? But in its language, I think is where it really tries to keep things fresh with C-bombs and F-bombs and all all sorts of other (laughs) things. Um, But I, I love this show. I was really surprised and delighted by it. Of course, I loved The Favorite. I thought that was an incredible film. But this... Just just being in this world, the machinations of this court, the palace intrigue, uh, the political nonsense. If if you like The Crown, sure, you might like the show. But if you like Succession, I feel yeah. like you'll really like the show. Or you mentioned Iannucci, of course, like Veep and the other great political comedies that he did. It's a political comedy. But I have to say, it's also like a who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, Lion in Winter sort of uh, (laughs) awful love story at the same time. So yeah, it's an incredible film with some incredible performances at the center of it. We're going to get all into all of it in detail, but if you haven't watched it, like that's our case for, yeah, go watch it, you know? Yeah. It's succession with people wearing corsets. Yeah. Great. Who could ask for anything more? And amazing wigs and um, all, all the rest. And you'll learn a lot of history, and then you'll find out all the ways in which it's not historical. Something we should say, sort of the last case I'll make, is that there's an asterisk in the title card that says, an occasionally true story at the beginning of every episode. And that just gives you license to unclench and relax about the historical accuracy of everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So is this your preferred vehicle for historical period piece TV or film? Like, Do you like it when it's sort of hey, here's the broad strokes. We're going to take this period of history or this historical character, but we're really going to go off on our own for a while here. I think I would think of it more in terms of like a biopic than a historical show in terms of, I think it's so important for a biopic to have a specific point of view. If you're just going to give me the sort of dry beat by beat, in this year we did this, and then in this year we did this, um, that is so played out to the point where, you know, walk hard, like destroyed our ability to do that by pointing out all, all the ways in which all the tropes are there. Um, and I think that, uh, having a point of view or having a fun, innovative take on something, uh, yeah, I guess has become a preferred way for me. What about you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, I think that traditionally, like I gravitate more towards, I mean, there are certain historical figures that I would go see like a, a meat and potatoes, uh, biopic of, but like, I recently rewatched Ali because of King Richard's coming out soon. Right. And it's like if a filmmaker is really taking like cinematic liberties to explore either how it felt or how this person made us feel, you know, I'm I'm really into it. But when it's just like the kind of more traditional like Ray, like here's this guy, here are these six big moments we're going to hit in his life. And just at the end, we'll just really appreciate him. I'm like, I already appreciate it, Ray Charles. You know, it's good. <laughs> I need that. Well, I'm glad you brought up that um, these Oscar movies because I think that's the time that this conversation really pops up more frequently in the sneaky sort of backlash Oscar smear campaigns of a historical film. Yeah, where the opposing camp will say will plant stories where they're like, "Well, that's not how it really happened," you know. And and I always don't care. Almost always depends on the liberty that they've taken, but I almost always don't care because I'm like, "Well, they're trying to tell you a story. They're not trying to teach you a history lesson." Yeah. You know, uh, and and we'll hope that you watch this thing and then you get curious enough to go do some more research about it. But this isn't a history class. This is a film. This is a TV show. They're trying to craft a narrative sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, I'm curious with all, you know, with all this has going for it, with a crackling script, incredible production design, fantastic performances. Why don't you think this show was a massive hit? in 2020 when it dropped the first season? So I think it's too aggressive for my mom Mm. and it's too period piece for people who might be younger than us. You know what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't feel like it's contemporary enough for maybe, you know, the, the pitch is really difficult, but when I would show, I showed this to my mom and I think she enjoyed it, but I think she was like, 
thanks. I'm not going to keep watching that. That was pretty funny, but I'm okay. And she's yeah. a big Downton Abbey fan and upstairs, downstairs and would basically watch like period piece. If there was a period piece channel, she would probably be one of the the gold member subscribers. She on Acorn? Yeah. She, is know, she a Brit boxer? Brit box, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, there was something about this that I think was just a little too much for her. Um, now, I think what, one thing this show has going for it is the sheer speed at which it operates and the density of it makes it so that it doesn't like build up to and drop a C-bomb on you and then you're just like, oh my God, that was so like... That was that, that that was so over the line. Like everything on the show is over the line. You completely adjust your concept of what the line is when you're watching the great. But I do think that part of it. That's part of why I, I wonder whether or not it just didn't become quite a juggernaut. Also, I think there is a degree of like claustrophobia to the show. I mean, a lot of the action takes place in these rooms, and all the rooms are beautifully appointed and everything. It's like every one of these scenes feels like somebody is um, kind of stuffing themselves with, you know, an excessive amount of really, really rich food and then cursing and then drinking and then screwing and then backstabbing. I mean, it is really exciting, but I wonder whether or not it doesn't have like maybe the action that some people associate with with a hit show. I really do feel like it has that potential, though. Um yeah. In the way that Succession broke out, I mean, maybe not as big as Succession. I don't know because you are right that there's that period piece barrier of entry for a lot of people, and and what m attracts a lot of people to period pieces is a cozy, comfortable calmness. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Though we should say there's like a dead Turkish diplomat in the first season of Downton Abbey, but that's um, true. That's true. But, but um, it's it's a show that. My understanding is that it was actually pretty popular for Hulu. Uh, they did bring it back for a second season, which they didn't with High Fidelity, which is one of my like pain points of 2020. But um, I hate that that really bummed me out. <laughs> really bummed me out. But um, but I was really surprised to see it so overlooked at the Emmys. Obviously, awards aren't everything, but I was really surprised to not see acting nominations, um, at least for this show. Do you know? Yeah, you know, I I feel like this is. This show is a little bit of a casualty of just the sheer amount of television that we have right now. And like even people like us who probably feel professionally obligated to at least check out almost everything, still stuff slips by us. So you can only imagine what it's like for somebody who's like, I have an hour or two a night to watch TV. What's on? What am I in or currently in? And then, you know, I, I, I just marvel at the fact that like there's three shows coming on this week. Like Andy and I are talking about today. I'm just like, I can't believe... It, currently, I'm watching seven or eight hour-long shows a week or half-hour-long shows a week. So I think it's, I, I kind of understand why sometimes like a show like The Great can, can get by people. And I, th I do think that we have a kind of um, still a little bit of uh, prejudice against shows that seem comic in their, their presentation. You know, it's like it takes a little bit of time for uh, something with this many jokes and with this much... Uh, of of an artistry to its humor um, to to break through, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's it's like antic in a yeah. way that Ted Lasso isn't, or something like that. Yeah, um, it's interesting to me uh, listening to Tony McNamara talk about why he was interested in making this story in the first place. It was originally a play, and then he put turned it into a feature screenplay. And as he was sort of shopping around. Some folks were like, maybe this should be a TV series. Like, maybe there's yeah. too much story in your story here, and let's let's spread it out. And um, the way he described it in an interview that I was reading, he said, a person's whole life and many accomplishments can be reduced to fucking a horse. <laughs> uh, pardon my French, because um, you know that is the thing that a lot of people think they know about Catherine the Great. Is yeah, that, or in like, this case, you pardon know? your Russian, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, pardon my Cyrillic, but like that that. Um, that she was this incredibly accomplished leader. And there's a lot you can say about like the way in which women in power have been reduced over time and stuff yeah. like that. But like, she's an incredible, accomplished, progressive thinker, leader, held this position of power for a very long time. And that is the thing that a lot of people think they know about her. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the show is Catherine's uh, progressive streak, I guess. But also like the degree to which she has obviously had her life changed by being introduced to the universe of ideas and like to reading and to philosophy and drama and literature and her desire to um, 
you know, spread that, even though it sometimes is, it's, it's satirized. It is actually like a very sweet quality of the character. And I like that the, the show has room for both, right? We can sort of roll our eyes a little bit when she gets a little too high on her soapbox, but then ultimately you're like, oh, but but she's advocating for literacy for yeah. women. So <laughs> we like that too. That's a yeah. good thing. Um, you want to talk about, you mentioned Yanucci already, but you, this idea of like jo- like joke singing all over the place, but balancing that with with actual motion. You, talk, you, you touched on that already, but like I think that comes to a point that I want to make as well about this idea of stakes that this is um this is a show about murderous power struggle for control of Russia people are dying left and right and a lot of times that's treated as just comedy it's it's antic and elevated and then someone dies in season 1 again we're going to get into specifics here someone dies in season 1 like Vlad the lovely young footman who gets the pox yeah. or Leo who's this like lovely established character that they try really hard to make you like for a season before <laughs> killing him to show the cost of what of yes. what um Catherine has chosen here it's it's very rare to balance those two tones why why do you think the show is so successful at it well, I was I wanted to talk to you about this because currently you and I are both podcasting quite a bit about succession. And I think that one of the ideas that keeps returning to me over this course, the course of this season of succession, is the extent to which I'm here for these people tearing each other apart with one-liners versus those three to five to seven times a season where there's like this real moment of humanity and vulnerability and and it feels really real. It feels not just dramatic, but like, oh, I've seen this moment with Kendall or this moment with Shiv. Like this is, I that this is reflective of my personal experience in life. Now that doesn't happen super a lot in the great for me, but you're right that it does have these moments of like incredible grief or, um, incredible like frustration or heartbreak. And I do think that it's the most difficult thing to do in these these comedies is ever like dropping the veil and being like, oh, but but let, let's make them into people now, not just joke machines, not just awful. Because you know, like you, one of the ways you can suspend, you know, suspend disbelief is if everybody is behaving like a complete caged animal the entire time. But like when they actually act like a human being, you're like, oh, wait, now I have to readjust my my sort of my orientation towards how I feel about this show. Do, do, you, do you get that feeling with this or, or even honestly with Succession? Yeah. And I mean, we, we talk about a lot with Succession of like, why should I care about these <laughs> massive assholes? Yeah. These are rich assholes. Um, but then there's moments, I think the moment that most people cite with Succession is that like season two hug between Shiv and, and Kendall or moments like that. Um, and that as we're all uh, broken boys and girls in our own way, we can relate to all of that. But I think that, in 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 the great the 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 most accomplished example of that what you were just talking about that humanizing is the character of Peter like we're going to get into the Nicholas Holt of it all um but i think this is one of the greatest performances i've ever seen from anyone ever um but Peter is a a, a monster yeah. he's cruel he's he's you know fop and all this stuff like that but throughout he's a one, homicidal maniac yeah, basically yeah he, he's 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 a monster um and and when he eventually dies, as he does historically, like we 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 shouldn't be sad, but yeah. I will be sad because <laughs> um A, the performance is so delicious to watch, and B, they did a really good job in season one of seeding through, and in season two, at least the first few episodes that I've watched, uh, it's it's touched on even even more the family trauma, the the hurt people hurt people idea of, of the toxicity that he was brought up in. This idea of his his parents, specifically his mother, telling him that he was a monster from a child. So maybe if you're told that your whole life, maybe that's who you are. I think humanizing Peter is the show's greatest accomplish in that in that regard. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, his the one of the things that he says talks about the most that the character talks about the most is especially towards the end of the first season and, and, and the, the first few episodes of the second season is his desire to change. You know, he's like constantly talking about like, oh, I, I understand that I shouldn't have done that and I didn't want to, but it happened. And so now I'm telling you I'm sorry and you should be okay with that. And there's something incredibly sweet about this guy who's like, I love this woman 
and I really want to be the person that she wants me to be. But I, I'm only really good at two or three things, and it's eating, screwing, and killing people. That's true. <laughs> and so those things are going to come up a lot, you know. And I'm, I'm going to maybe not sleep with her, and I'm going to eat myself till I'm sick, and then I'm going to kill a guy. But I want to be different, you know. I want to be, I want to yeah. be a better person. Which is which is not something you can necessarily say about any of the Roys. Like they're never like I acknowledge my flaws and I want to be better. That's no, not... they are all wearing like skin suits of humans, where they're just like, "Is this what a human being does? Should I should I pretend like I care about these issues?" I have no model for for <laughs> for how to behave in the world. Yeah, yeah, and and that that uh, development of Peter being in love with Catherine whatever his version of love is, is a late in season one development. Like, you know, he's he's plotting to kill her and all this other stuff throughout season one. But right at the end, he decides he's in love with her in a way that I really believe. And then he <laughs> finds out she's pregnant and then he's just constantly talking to the fetus inside of her. Yes. And that's its own added comedy slash emotional beat to the point where, again, he is a monster and I will be sad if he ever goes that like let me just skip ahead to this Holt stuff because this is the thing this is the thing we know is that Catherine wins and rules Russia and <laughs> yeah. Peter dies that yes. happens we know that there's a there's some speculation as to why Peter died the, right. the, this is historical not like we're reading it's a mystery yeah. yes <laughs> it's a mystery it's a bit of a mystery he was sent away to uh, I think a camp he was like yeah. basically sent to Siberia and then and then died mysteriously so right. that that could be fun to find out how that happened according to uh, McNamara but um McNamara has said that initially his plan for the show was to do something closer to the crown where they jump years and maybe cast an older actress um, eventually for Catherine, et cetera. Um, and then he said, we fell in love with each other so much, meaning Elle Fanning, Nicholas Holt, McNamara, and the rest mm -hmm. of the cast, that he's like, I just decided to stay here instead. Yeah. And that it's an, in, like, I, I was curious how much Nick Holt was going to be in season two. And it kind of feels like they're like, we're just going to stay here for a while. Yeah. He's under house arrest in the palace. And that's just because it's convenient for us for plot and comedy purposes. They you know definitely I mean? pumped the brakes on the action, at least in the early part of the second season, where they're just like, these first few episodes are essentially us walking back and forth into these other rooms and like repeating the same actions over and over again. And they, I, I feel like, you know, they probably could have knocked out like her coronation could have been the first scene of the second season. You know what I mean? And just yeah. been like, bang, and now we're moving. But that... That gets us closer to the end point with Peter, unless you subscribe to Peter still being alive, which I guess there was not currently, but that there is some historical scholarship that were like mythology or in Russia about like him. He lived through his assassination attempts and stuff. Oh, I didn't get that far. That's so exciting. They should do that. I mean, well, OK, they planted that seed because one of the like the doubles at the beginning of season two yeah. is played by Nick Holt. <laughs> yes. With some like fake teeth in and stuff like that. <laughs> So maybe he'll like, it's that double who dies. Right. And he gets to live on. Oh, that's so exciting. Because this is the question. Like, can you do the show? I don't want to discount Elle Fanning and the rest of the cast who are all extraordinary. Yes. But can, uh, something we talk about on, on, about succession is the fact that Brian Cox's character, Logan Roy, is supposed to die at the end of season one. Right. And they just liked him too much. And right. so they kept this, him and around. This is Jesse. This is Omar. <laughs> this is, yeah. this is a thing that haunts prestige tv is like boy it's always crowder. the character yeah. that you love that you got to keep around for the next five seasons and boy crowder is a great example of just like this is just like a white power guy who should have died in the first season and he's like he's Raylan's sidekick for most yeah. of the show it's the show that it becomes the Raylan boyd show yeah. um and so and the same with succession where it's to the point where a lot of us are asking you know especially as sorry this isn't a succession pod but we're it's both okay. very deep in it but like as logan's health progresses we're like can we envision this show without brian cox and i have the same question for the great can i envision this show without nicholas holt um what do you think yeah well I, people people are still really freaked out about david caruso leaving nypd blue man i don't know <laughs> i think that more shows should be braver but i understand why they're not i think i would probably i think we as viewers are sophisticated and courageous enough to go with shows if it feels like the exit of a character is actually dramatically warranted rather than um, contractually warranted. Like you can't, you know, this for some reason someone can't come back to a a series uh, and they and they they're, they've just exited. Uh, Succession without Brian Cox is a completely different show. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what it would be, but it would, and it would be fascinating. I hope, I kind of do hope we get a bit of succession without that character, if that's where it's going. I hope there's like a half a season of these, these kids dividing say, up the empire. But one, one or a half season, yeah. like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a five season show, like give me the final season or give me the last five episodes without Brian to see where the chips fall. Sure. That would be and interesting. with this one, um, I think the only reason why I would be a little bit more on the side of if you're going to, if the great does turn out to be a three or four season show, I think that maybe getting off of Holt earlier than later would mean the show had a little bit more forward momentum because if you are trying to eat just vaguely mirror this historical arc for these characters, you are kind of running into a brick wall with him. So maybe just kind of like, ripping off the Band-Aid, but the Band-Aid is on top of like one of the best couples in recent TV history. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and I don't want to say, I mean, I, I hate to be the person who's like, this is a show about this impressive woman who ruled Russia. And I'm like, but keep her terrible <laughs> husband keep, around. Keep the guy around though. Because <laughs> I really like Come him. On, you're shipping. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you mentioned sort of a uh, organic exit of a character versus something else. And I did want to shout out um, Charity Wakefield, uh, who plays Regina sort of leaves in episode two of this season. And as they were sort of maneuvering things to get her gone, I was like, this feels clunky to me. Yeah. And I was sort of looking at her costuming and I'm like, is this actress pregnant? And she is. So it's like a a pregnancy exit, which is a a classic TV question. And she could always come back in season three. But it is one of those things that just felt really like there's no reason why this character, especially that this character would leave and her husband who is besotted (laughs) with her would stay. None of that made sense. But, uh, you know, needs must. That Um, was like uh, Carolina kind of taking a real step back on succession because she's that I think that actress is obviously pretty was pregnant. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like, you know, the 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 handbags get bigger, the potted plants move in front of the people. We do what we can do. Um, you and I were talking before we started recording about this, the idea of this being a Wikipedia show, which is never something that I've called something exactly, but it is something that I'm gonna be thinking about going forward. Um, I've got a couple favorite Wikipedia shows, like The Crown is a big one for me. Um, American Crime Story, like you know, the OJ season or this last Lewinsky season, et cetera. Um and this is such an interesting Wikipedia show because it's the the it's the best kind because yeah. you can bop around the Wikipedia pages, but knowing that they're going to take such historical liberties, you can learn some things about these side characters, who's real, who's an amalgamation, um, but not completely spoil yourself as to as to what's going to happen uh, by history, spoiled by history. Uh, what's your what's your relationship with a Wikipedia show, Chris Ryan? So I love Narcos as a Wikipedia show. There are some parts of Narcos that I already knew. There's obviously um, some parts of nar- Narcos that were news to me. You know, oh, like do you, the Kiki do you camera- like Narcos. Chris? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Is that a show you um, but like there are plot lines on Narcos, like the Kiki Camarena season that I was like, I knew what, what happened. There, there, there were parts that was just really cool. Like, you know, Narcos is very, very um, religious about having 30 seconds of voiceover being like, and this was the point in history when the Mexican government declared war on the cartels. And you're just like, why don't I just look up the PRI in 1994 and see what's going on here? Now that can, that can ruin a season for you if you don't know, but there is something really fun when TV can be a springboard. I mean, honestly, Thrones was like this with listening to you and and reading, reading and listening to Concepcion and Mal and stuff like where you're just like, Oh, I can just kind of get read for two hours after I watch a one hour show or I could listen to three podcasts that are kind of suggesting what might happen or what was led up to this or what, you know, was sort of spun off of this in the world of the show that we're talking about. So there's something really um, fun when you like look up the historical Wikipedia pages for the characters you're seeing on the great. And some of them are there and some of them not, but like Elizabeth and I'm like, Oh, look at Elizabeth. Like she's just like a kind of bit player in this show, but she has like, she has an incredible history. Do you have a favorite um, side character in the show? Um, I, this is kind of a, a funny one, but I really like Arcady and his wife. I really, <laughs> I really like their their rapport. I like all the people who are sort of just like my wife might have slept with Peter, but like we're still together. <laughs> uh, and the husbands are like, "That's fine." Yeah, is it? <laughs> well. I've learned to deal with it. Um, I'm a big Velamental fan, Douglas Hodge. Yeah. Giving like 
usually drunk unless he's at war. I mean, he's just like... (laughs) He's just crushing it. And Adam Godley, too, as, as Archie, the Archbishop, yeah. uh, like, you know, and, and calling the Archbishop Archie is like another classic, like modernism or whatever. But um, these characters and Sasha Dewan, like basically like everyone circle in that inner circle um, are are styled so incredibly. Like, I feel like I can smell Archie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that I beard just know. It just smells yeah. like vodka and incense or something. Yeah, yeah. I know what that guy smells like. I know how long his fingernails are. It's not good. Like, none <laughs> of it's good. Um, but it's such a great lived in sneaky performance from all of them. And they're just so, so incredible. Just like a lot of room for great, you know, you and I both have talked about this on uh, Succession where characters like Frank and Carl and um, et cetera, these, these sort of courtiers. Who, who circle the power players are so interesting, especially when they're played by these great character actors or great stage actors and stuff like that. And I feel like the great is a perfect spot for people like that to shine. Yeah, this is, uh, there's, there's a few J. Smith Camerons or David Rashies in here where I've, I, you've seen them in plenty of British TV or in, uh, you know, movies here and there, but they're just getting the most like, delicious lines to deliver. And they, there is a little bit of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Like there's like a little bit of that, these people off to the side who kind of narrate all the, all the action. There is a little bit of stunt casting this season though. If you want to call it that in that they're bringing in Jillian Anderson. I only watched the first three episodes because that's what we were talking about. So she hasn't arrived yet uh, in what we've watched. And to that end, I mean, people might've already binged season two and they're like, guys, they already killed Peter. (laughs) You guys are behind. So sorry if we're a little behind on our discussion. But um, but, uh, yeah, Jillian Anderson is showing up. Uh, I liked hearing Tony McNamara say that he cast her out of Sex Education, a show that I also completely love and think should be bigger than it is. Um, She's fantastic on that show. Having not seen her do whatever she's going to do in this, do you have any thoughts or feelings about Jillian Anderson joining season two? I, I I welcome her in any and all shows, period pieces specifically, but really any TV show. Like if we could get Jillian Anderson as like the new True Detective, I'd, I'd sign on for that. Oh I guess she's already did that in the in the fall, right? Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, she had her her UK, but like she should join if she cropped up. In season two of Mare of Easttown, yeah. doing the accent, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> like, I, I expect to see her everywhere. Um, I, I, I was mixed on her performance in The Crown that got her an Emmy, so uh, what do I know? But, uh, but I love her so much on Sex Education. I think that arch tone mm-hmm. that she takes in that show will probably serve her really well here. She's playing Catherine's mother, um, and I imagine there's just going to be a lot of... Um, Disapproval, et cetera, coming from that <laughs> that department and incredible gowns. Again, just incredibly designed show. The the gowns are fantastic. There's a there's a baby shower um party in episode three, I think it is, of this of second of season two, where everyone's dressed in like, you know, uh, pastels. Yeah. Incredible costuming. Just unbelievable. Really I've really enjoyed um in the this the second season so far. Uh I, this show is not a uh not an advertisement for prenatal health, I would say, but um, my favorite sort of parts of this have been uh, Elle Fanning's characters increasingly like sort of like turning towards drugs and alcohol as she as she takes on the weight of running a country. <laughs> and wow, there's a pregnant. very funny yeah. snorting gunpowder and lavender and a couple of other things <laughs> that then gives her lots of energy. Yeah, that has her zooming with like, her gown open, the corset barely covering her stomach, just like a real, a real moment, a real look. Um, yeah, well, I guess I want to talk about that because there were a few jokes in these first three episodes that felt slightly different in tone to me, like, like a little too forced with the winky winky of like how how backwards are these people? Like when they right. were offering her a tray of like raw fish, like all the things, t- ticking out the list of all the things you're Old not cheese. supposed to eat. Yeah. Yeah. When you're pregnant. And I was like, they wouldn't put it all on one tray. Like it's funny enough that they put a frog on her stomach. You know what I mean? Like that's funny. And like the fact that like so much, if you look up so much, so many of these things, they're actually true. Like using half a lemon as a con- contraceptive device, which they do in season one, peeing on the wheat to see if it sprouts yeah. is, a th- is a real thing. So like there's enough 
stranger than fiction real stuff uh that that's happening uh at this time that i don't know that you need to like Invent force cocaine. the old cheese <laughs> sushi tray the cocaine was was kind of funny actually yeah. um I, I liked that a lot she was she was zooming she was definitely zooming but yeah like that that sort of thing where i'm like i felt like the humor was perfectly tuned in season one and there's just a few moments in season two where I'm like, you don't have to tr- try so hard. You're great. This is a hard frequency to play at. Same thing for Succession. You got to, you, you're really, like, <laughs> when you're, when you're, you're flying without a net when you're doing this, it's tough. That combination of modernity and, and period piece, like you mentioned a couple other shows that are kicking around that right now, like Dickinson is, is not one that I've caught up with, but I know it has a lot of, of big fans um, on Apple. Uh, and you were sort of wondering, uh, if we'll ever go back to the musty dusty, the yeah. shows that your mom loves right. uh, uh, after we've seen the great and Dickinson. Um, I don't know what, I mean, like, what do you, what do you think about that? So I think that there's two ways to look at this. I would say, first of all, with the favorite, the, the diversity in the casting is seamless. You're just, you, you, you completely just never even think twice about it. You, I mean, it's enjoyable, but you're never like, Oh, this is just kind of taking me out of it. And I think it's like, pretty awesome that we've arrived at a place where that is starting to really take hold where like you you just don't really like think much about like the accuracy of how who who is cast as what role and i don't think we'll ever really go backwards from there that being said i wanted to ask you do you think we'll ever i'm trying to think of i guess downton would be an example in some ways deadwood is an example like deadwood was so dedicated to being written in the in the sort of of uh, the voice of that era like i mean whether or not that was entirely made up from milch's head but like he was he was so so dedicated to this idea of like this is how i think these people talked right and there were there wasn't any ever real gestures towards uh modern vernacular and it does seem like with bridgerton and dickinson and this and i, I don't know i'm trying to think of any other historical period pieces now i mean the crown is obviously super accurate there there's this movement towards like let's kind of sprinkle in people talking like like modern i mean i'll I'll be honest i was just watching shrink next door and the beginning part of that is set in the early 80s and Catherine Hahn says, I can't even, which I don't think anyone was saying before 2017. No. <laughs> and she is in 1982. She's like, I can't even with this. And I was like, okay, we're just, we're just kind of like throwing stuff from 2020s into any show now. You're like tubular. Sure. Yeah, but I can't right. even. No, 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 none of that. So I don't know. It just seems like that's become, uh, that's become the way we do these period pieces now. And I was wondering whether you thought we would ever see, you know, I, is 1883, I guess, with the Taylor Sheridan show? Is that going to be like, you know, I don't think that Tim McGraw is going to be like, I can't even when he <laughs> arrives at a at a ranch, but I, I don't know. I don't know. But I would ra- watch that show. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot. There's um, there's a few other examples like Outlander is a show that a ton of people watch that obviously makes no attempt towards modern. Well, even though that's a time travel show where there's like modernity from the forties into, um, you know, the, the, the distant past, uh, Peaky Blinders, as far as I, you know, that's a, that's a very violent sweary show, but as far as I know, that's not like an anachronistic. It's more than music show. and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'll yeah be like they're true. walking down the, and the black Nick keys Cave. start playing. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, Harlots is another Hulu show that I actually really liked that, um, you know, I think went away faster than it needed to. A good Samantha Morton performance, which I am always here for. Um, but I think most of that stuff is being imported a la uh, BritBox. And yeah. even so, I think, like, a lot of those those costume dramas that I grew up watching miniseries were British imports from the BBC or Channel 4. And I think, actually, British TV is trending uh, they're focusing a lot more on modern crime dramas yeah. than literary adaptations is not really the thing that they do any anymore over there as much. And so that was our main source. So yeah, we might be in a fallow period, but these things sort of come and go. So I think we might be here right now. As you say, I don't think we're ever going to go back to a point in time when the Game of Thrones showrunners thought they could say with a straight face, well, everyone would have been white in Westeros. <laughs> and you're like, guys, there's dragons. Yeah, so right. it's I don't okay. know what you're Mix talking about. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm hoping that we will never go back to something like that. But I, I would miss it if we didn't, you know, get back into another round of like Dickens adaptations or Austin adaptations or something like that. I'm, I'm a fan of those. Did, I'm you your see, mom. Uh, did you watch The North Water at all? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty... 
that was pretty rooted in history, I thought, you know, in yeah. terms of like the way that the characters spoke. So I like, I like both, you know what I mean? I like a little like peanut butter in my chocolate. And then I also just like just pure chocolate sometimes. Yeah. And so, um, I, I don't, I, I want to encourage more people to see this because I think it's really fun. And maybe it'll be a gateway to like some of that more self-serious like costume drama. Yeah, this is how you find yourself watching Bleak House, you know? <laughs> That Bleak House miniseries is incredible. Yeah, Dr. I know. Jillian Anderson performance. It's a great one. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I think that uh, there's room, there's room for all, but I do think we're in that trend right now. And Me I, too. but, but to talk about like courage in television, I, I would be sad if people felt afraid to do a more traditional um, period piece, uh, like that they had to put anachronisms in there to get people interested at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that there's probably at this point a fair amount of, I think that the pendulum has swung away from royal families. Let's put it that way. And I think that if you're going to do something that's set in like a formal court like that, or like about princes and princesses or kings and queens, there has to be an edge to it. I would imagine, you know, maybe, maybe that's, that's the read I'm getting. Um, as a former employee of Vanity Fair, I don't know that I can agree. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the crown just won best drama and that's that true. show like doesn't really undercut the Royals in a, you know, in a snarky and uchi kind of way. Do no, you know? that's true. Yeah, that's true. So there is, I mean, the, the, the cult of royalty Honestly, it's something that I didn't understand until I went to go work for Vanity Fair. And I don't still don't understand it, but I have seen more of it, you've, if that well, makes you've sense. You've witnessed firsthand the passion, you know? It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. Um, uh, but I prefer I prefer something like this, mm -hmm. um, you know, or Succession, where the the privileged class, you know, because Succession is about royals in its own right, too. Like, they're called literally called the Roys. Like, um, that... Let's take the scales off of our eyes about these people and who they really are and what it yeah. takes to be this powerful and this rich um, in this world. So, uh, and and the question about Catherine, you know, to bring it back to the show, the question about Catherine is she has these ideals, these ideals about, you know, the serfs of Russia sure. or young women and stuff like that. And she's already had to compromise one big thing, this this first love of hers for her vision of Russia. But a question about any show and ruling in power is like, how many more compromise? Like, are you going to be able to hang on to all of your high-minded morals? Like, Mar the character of Mariel is constantly trying to argue for a more pragmatic way forward. Right. Um, but are we going to see Catherine? You know, she was a progressive ruler, but like, are we going to see her have to sacrifice some of those ideals to ultimately get what she wants? You know. Yeah, I think that the first few episodes of the second season certainly paint. Uh, a portrait of, of somebody who thought the reality of ruling was much different than what they had in their mind about what it was going to be like and the 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 what what incremental change feels like but still having to sort of greet all the nobles and and this is the way things are done and this is the way things are done and you have to tax these people to make these people happy and you know i mean even with my kind of like 101 grasp of russian history they they think there was some cracked eggs before they made the omelet you know what i mean i don't even know if the omelet's done yet cracked fabergé eggs um yeah i'm i'm excited to see how her girl bossing too close to the sun might all uh play out for for everyone here in in the royal court um i want to go back before we close out i want to go back to this I want to talk about Hulu as a whole. I don't know yeah. how much you like care or pay attention to. Uh, I mean, you're you're you've got a PhD in TV, but like um, I kind of like to track which streamers on top and who's doing what. And and I just thought Hulu had such an incredible original programming year. They were obviously sort of running off the high of the Handmaid's Tale win that they really kind of only pulled out because Thrones was off that year. But like they got this big Emmy win with Handmaid's Tale. A lot of momentum for original programming. They did some of my favorite shows in 2020. High Fidelity, we already mentioned. Gone Too Soon. Incredible. If you haven't watched it, I don't care if you love the book, hate the book, love the movie, hate the movie. This is just a really interesting take yeah. on the whole. And I love both the book and the movie, and I loved this series as well. Um, Normal People, incredible, incredible stuff. Astonishing, yeah. Uh, The Great, Shrill, Remy, like just, just fantastic programming in a way that I don't feel like it gets credit for like what, so what do you consistent think? too and like yeah. a kind of tv that i think uh you know i 
is my favorite, which is the reliable. You know what I mean? Like there's like uh, a bunch of shows that you you can dip into and that, like episode to episode feel very satisfying. You know, there's not a lot of like, you don't have to be like a scholar to watch uh, High Fidelity. You just, you need to just check it out. It's really like, you know, if you have worked in record stores, I don't, I wanted to ask you, do you think that the 2021 that they're having how much do you think that that's a casualty of the merger of the of the of the of Disney the, merger? Yeah, I don't know because it, I mean it gets muddier, muddier to talk about Hulu because there's FX on Hulu, and yeah. then the question of like what is FX, what is FX on Hulu, when are things going to drop? It's all very confusing and unclean in a way that. Um, I feel sorry for Landgraf. I feel sorry for like everyone for how how muddy it is. Um, but I do think the FX on Hulu stuff, like being able to watch Devs or Mrs. America or something like that on Hulu will only bring more eyeballs to it. But then there's other things like Dope Sick didn't hit it all the way that it, they wanted it. They really wanted it to. Um, so I think they're 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 in a rocky uh, moment of transition. And I do think eventually, I know this is the goal. It's just they have to untangle a lot of licensing stuff. Um, Disney just wants Hulu to be a tab on. Disney Plus. Plus. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, yeah. I couldn't, I, I, you know, some of it I think was pandemic slowdown. There's a, there's a ton of shows way more than we could list that have either had their productions halted or delayed or the release was delayed or whatever. But yeah, there was a feeling in 2020, especially that first six months where I felt like I was using Hulu more than Netflix, exactly. you know, at least. And now it's a little bit more like, I, I can't remember the last time I was like, oh, let me see what's new on Hulu. Cause I kind of just figured I would have heard about it. But maybe the great augers, like, you know, a new wave of stuff. I, I, I'm negligent or I didn't get a chance to, to check out Dope Six. So I, I, that was, yeah, but that was the big one that they had this fall. Yeah. And me neither. And that's telling that neither of us felt like we had to watch it. You know yeah. I, mean? I wonder how many, you know, I'm always curious about user behavior. Hulu is not dissimilar from the Amazon service where you can kind of use it to watch other channels that you have. Like you can, you know, you can use Hulu as like a place where you do your stars subscription if you, if you want, you know, like, yeah. and same thing with Amazon that has all these like sub brands that you can use as make into channels on Brit Prime Box, video. Baby. That's right. You know, <laughs> AMC plus is probably yeah. one of like my most watched things. So yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't have um, the same the same feel as it did in 2020. Yeah. Well, I will say in 2020, I cut the cord and Hulu Live was like my... Oh, yeah. Was my TV. So I wow. was on Hulu all the time. Um, and then I made I made some changes this year. But like, yeah, that's where I watch, that's where I watch my HBO, like on, on the Hulu app. It's a great app. Sure. Like in terms of uh, UI. So... Yeah, but so, okay, any, I mean, I guess this is a fun space that we can be in where, like, maybe people listening know more than we do because <laughs> they've been dodging their family all week and watching all of the of the great and we haven't gotten to yet. Do you have any, like, predictions or, or hopes or expectations for the rest of season two? Well, so when did, uh, they haven't mentioned whether or not they're bringing it back yet, which I take to be either a side that they're trying to figure out, like, where to go creatively with it if indeed this is it for Peter. I imagine Peter's on for most of this season, but do you want to see a, a version of this show without Holt? I feel like a bad feminist. If you say no. But I, I don't. <laughs> he's doing like, he's doing Hugh Grant. It's a Hugh Grant performance. And like Holt's been great for ever. Yeah. You know, since, since a kid, about a Since boy. he was a child actor. Yeah. Skins. Yeah. Skins, like Mad Max. Um, Single man. That was a moment where I was like, I am uncomfortable with uh, how how uh, how old and hot Nicholas Holt has become. Because uh, to me, as a child and about a boy, but um, but yeah, he's he's uh, he's incredible in everything. The favorite, fantastic yeah. in the favorite. Like that's where Tony like first spotted him. I think. No, I don't. I I don't want the show with him. Well, maybe with maybe him. they'll do the thing where where they use the the, the, s double. the, the double. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fingers crossed. But, um, and what I really want is for more people to watch the show and for Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt and anyone else who wants one to get an Emmy nomination next year. Yeah, I, I hope that, I think that they are very deserving, but I hope that they, they're in line for one this year. Timing wise, it's not great though, because like, you know, Emmy winners are going to have to remember, you know, all the way, whatever, nine months from now. Yeah. So, so 
We'll see. Um, all right. Well, I, th- I think we did it. Chris Ryan, yeah, my first a, ever d- podcast with you. Yeah. <laughs> what a joy. Uh, about a show that I really love. What else do you have coming up? All around the Ringerverse. Gosh, well, it's uh, th- th- this is Thanksgiving. Well, we're still doing Succession on Sundays on the Watch. Great job. Yeah, I mean, not that you need me to sell you that, but you and Andy are just crushing <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, and then otherwise the usual, uh, the usual Watch rewatchables, Ringer NBA show stuff. Um, and you'll have a Succession precap tomorrow. Uh, no, for, I think we're taking off the Thanksgiving week. Okay, I think, okay. I think we're, so we're doing a day of rest. Yeah, okay. yeah, but we'll be back next week. Me and Waz. Okay. Um, yeah, and I will be uh, bouncing around the Ringerverse uh, with Mal covering all kinds of uh, geeky stuff. Hawkeyes, Hawkeyes here. Are you excited for Hawkeye? I'm really excited for Hawkeye. Joe, do you think you're going to, how, how much is too much Spider-Man? Do you, do you think your brain's going to break from the multiverse? Um, <laughs> we... <laughs> We Van and I got really salty about the trailer did you? last night. We did a little green room, a little uh, live reaction on green room, and it was it was it was a salty time. I'm worried. I'm worried about this movie. We'll see. We'll see. Are you excited for the the Spider yeah, movie? I'm excited. You know, like okay. I I think I I have so I'm like a, a little bit boy? of like uh, uh, I think an unwelcome take, which I I think we like over. I think Spider Man is like really cool. He's never really been like a huge character for me. So sometimes when it's like the weight of the MCU is resting on Spider-Man's shoulders. I'm like, really? That was a weird... Did you read the GQ, the Tom Holland GQ profile? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was like... I think it was Anthony Russo or Joe Russo was like, he's the new Robert Downey. I was like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's too much to put on a little Spider-Boy's shoulders. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, especially since he's like owned by Sony. It's not... Yeah. It's too complicated. This guy's going to have to be in Morbius 3 pretty soon. <laughs> Give him a break. Craven, Craven 5, <laughs> yeah. you know? So we'll see. All right, well... This has been the Prestige TV Pod. You can find all sorts of, you know, whenever we get a whim to talk about a show, this is the place you'll find us doing it. That's right. Um, so we'll be back with with uh, hopefully more uh, discussions about more shows we love. Chris and I, uh, this episode was produced by Sasha Ashall. And enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe your family isn't as bad. They're certainly not as bad as the Russian royals. <laughs> so see you next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.